0: Midnight in Karachi with Mavish Murad on tour.com. With me today is writer Trisha Sullivan, who won the Clark Award in 1999 for Dreaming in Smoke and was shortlisted again for the same award in 2004 for her novel Mall. She's also the writer of multiple other books and has been shortlisted for the BSFA Award, the Tiptree Award, and the Campbell Award as well. Her last book was Shadow Boxer, about a young mixed martial arts fighter who gets caught up. In supernatural crimes, her latest is the novel Occupy Me, which is about a woman with wings who isn't sure who or what she is and a man who's trapped inside his own body while someone else is in control. There's also a briefcase which appears to contain many, many realities. It's strange and smart and it's fun. Trisha, welcome to Midnight in Karate. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I would think it's safe to say that a writer grows and learns something new with each book you know a good writer would always be interested in getting better with every novel at any rate which of your books do you think you learned the most from and you know which felt in retrospect that it perhaps wasn't what you should have written at that point in your life
1: oh okay that's a meaty question um
0: is it too soon for that should we start with something else
1: well (laughs) there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there I mean I can go on it if you want
0: go ahead go ahead
1: Uh, okay um which one did i learn the most from would probably be my fourth science fiction novel mall which was a kind of leap into the unknown for me and took a lot of risks and i was really over my head with that one um and of course it's only when you get in over your head that you really find out uh you really get to stretch and develop as a writer um On the other part of your question, which one do I wish uh, in retrospect I hadn't done? It's really, I don't know, I have so many regrets, but I I don't know that you can really write except what's in in you to write at that time. And um, if it all goes horribly wrong, it all goes horribly wrong. It's still a learning experience. So I, I can't say I have any regrets.
0: I've often wondered if writers ever, you know, later on, a few novels down the line, they look back and say, you know, that was a really good idea, but I didn't do it well. I wish I hadn't used up that idea.
1: Does that ever happen? Um, Well, it's funny because Lightborn, in a way, was reworking one of the core ideas in my first novel, Lethe. Um, And my first novel was a very traditional sort of science fiction novel, and it was kind of everything but the kitchen sink. And at the center of it was this idea of, people who go crazy when they hit adolescence and I felt that I hadn't really I felt that there was a lot more of that idea that I hadn't unpacked because it was a first novel and it's too much else to do and I picked it up again in Lightborn and worked on it some more um I'm not sure that I would do that again um I'm not sure that it was enough I think maybe I'm happier when I have something really fresh and new to work on than when I'm uh, trying to rework something. Just because you have more skill, which I definitely did several, many years later, I definitely had a lot more skill when I was writing Lightborn, but um, I'm not sure that I would revisit an old idea again after the way it felt to write that.
0: Right. Now, you're widely considered a science fiction writer, but you've also written fantasy under a pseudonym for some years. What was that like, stepping away from science fiction, you know, from your own self even, in a way?
1: Well, I wasn't really stepping away from my own self because I've always read fantasy as well. Um, And actually, what ended up happening with that series is that it was sold as the next Marion Zimmer Bradley and then very quickly evolved in very science fictional directions much to the dismay of my German publisher who had paid a lot of money for it. And um, when I turned in the second book, they sent my editor a fax saying, this is not what you sold us. We don't want time travel. We don't want brain worms. We don't want any of this conceptual stuff. We're done. So I think uh, you, can't <laughs> you can't take the science fiction out of me, no matter what genre you put me in. It's there. It's a little bit even in Shadow Boxer.
0: Now, you know, I was looking up um, interviews with you in the last few years and, and some earlier as well. And I noticed the number of times you very openly talked about motherhood and how having very young children took its toll on both on your mind and your body, not to mention your writing time, of course. I can completely relate personally. But I was wondering, not all women are so open about that part of their lives. It's also, of course, really annoying, on the other hand, when only women are asked about, you know, how being a parent has affected their work. I tend to ask writers who our new fathers, this as well, because I don't think there's any way that being a parent doesn't affect or change you, no matter, you know, whether you actually gave birth or not. Uh, of course, if you're the one who's carried the baby and given birth to it, you're dealing with some major physical changes as well. Let's not even get into the sleep deprivation, things like that. But coming back, <laughs> let's,
1: not <go> there. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. I mean,
0: so coming back to all of that, you know, from all that came with being a parent, obviously, it was hard, of course. But how did it change you and your stance on writing?
1: Oh, wow. That's such a good question. I mean, um, I I just want to parenthetically say, I completely agree with you that um, new fathers have a whole set of issues to deal with too, as do adoptive parents. Absolutely. And and it's a bit unfair. Um, And whenever I talk about those things, I don't mean to hog the stage from other people who are coping with their own sets of demands, because it is a bit cliched, the whole becoming a mother, it changed me, yada, yada, yada. I mean, we've all heard that before. I guess the thing is about cliches is that they're, it's a cliche for a reason. For myself, um, a, a lot of the issues with with parenthood and my writing were just purely practical issues. And um, they were very, very frustrating at the time. But now that my kids are older and I'm looking back on it, I think that, that having gone through that, I'm much less willing to... um, I think I'm more willing to be open emotionally in my writing. I'm more willing to be real. You can't really not be real when, you know, you've just had a baby, and you're lying in operating theater, and you can sort of see your genitals spread out in the (laughs) mirror while they're sewing you up, and chatting to you, trying to distract you, and your baby is somewhere nearby crying, and you know, it's kind of a... You kind of get past yourself. (laughs) And, and I think that um, cleaning up nappies and sick in the middle of the night and all of the, all of the um, things that make us human, parenthood delivers so much of that. I mean, a lot of other experiences do too, but for me, it, it just, parenthood really gave me that in spades. I've always had a little trouble figuring out what reality is. And I think that parenting really made me more solid. And so when I do my writing, I'm much more willing to be absolutely real about myself, and and I think I've become a tiny bit less pretentious. I hope.
0: It does that to you, right? Being a parent, either you become less pretentious or you—no, actually, that's it. That's probably the only thing you do become less pretentious. You have to be, don't you?
1: You don't have a choice.
0: Yeah. It's,
1: it's such a mess, all of it. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Yeah, and I think it's uh, one of the reasons why I speak about it openly is because I think it's so unfair of women and people to always be putting up. Why can't it not be a mess? Why why is right. that wrong? You know, it it it's let's just get over it.
0: It is. It's dirty and messy and and complicated and emotional. It takes a long time, and I don't think it really goes away. But you're right. It affects everyone. I think it's wonderful that you do speak about this, and that it did take you a while to get your uh, get your writing back. Now, from parenthood to you know the other really uh, difficult thing that takes a physical toll on your body, mixed martial arts. Um, I was talking to our mutual friend, the writer Kate Elliott, about your book about Shadowboxer earlier today. And Kate suggested I ask you about the intensity and the realism of the fight scenes because, and she's right, you don't often see young female characters who are really treated as serious athletes in books. This is something, of course, that Kate herself has done in her book, Court of Fives. Tell me, if you will, about Jade, please, and why you wanted to write her.
1: Well... I first of all, I've never been in the ring, and I've done a little bit of training, but I am not a fighter at all, and I'm nothing like jade um, but i I guess I did feel like I wanted to write about what would motivate a girl to get in the ring, what would motivate a girl to fight um, and Jade was really a big stretch for me because she's so different from me and um, physically, emotionally, in in all of these different ways, I I guess it's such a tough one. I guess I was trying to find out for myself what would what would such a character be like. I really worried with Jade that I was stereotyping her to be a kind of hot, uh, hot tempered, damaged, uh, kind of um, Latina hot angry girl right which i didn't want but on the other hand um when i used to teach school in new york there was a girl in one of my classes that i used as kind of a model of jade who was very small physically but nobody messed with her and she just let everybody know you better keep your distance from me and and yet she had this um she had this cat that she loved and she would bring in pictures of the cat and she would be talking about the cat you know after school she'd be showing me all about it she had this incredibly sweet and soft side to her and then this very hard exterior which you know I only assume was a survival mechanism on her part and I kind of started from from that little seed and started to build jade on top of that um and the physicality of it just comes from the reality of what the training is. I mean, it is just an incredibly demanding training. Um, and so I did try to bring that out.
0: Speaking of training, and, and you just said you've trained a little bit with uh, with well, martial arts as well. And I know karate before that, uh, since you were quite young. And your partner, I believe, trains MMA fighters. I'm guessing you didn't have to go very far for all your research of martial arts? Or did you have to step no, away um, from what you knew?
1: Well, I mean, I would go to him for help on things. And um, one thing that I learned from my partner, uh, he watches a lot of fights. And um, a lot of what he gets out of his training methods comes from analyzing what really happens um, and breaking it down and trying to figure out how it can be used. And so I was in the habit, because I work on the website with him at the time, we were working on that quite intensely. And I guess part of the drive to write Shadowboxer came out of that collaboration with him. And we would always be watching fights. And um, the fight scenes in Shadow Boxer were actually lifted straight off YouTube. I just literally took a fight, like maybe it was between two men, whatever. But I just took a fight and I would take little sections of it. And when I was describing the fight scene, I would just describe what I saw from the point of view of one of the fighters so that there was no... um, I wasn't guessing about what was going to happen. I could actually see it before my eyes and all I had to do was write it down so that it was actually very, very easy to write the fight scenes.
0: Now you're studying, I believe, physics now, or is it astrophysics and maths? Well, yeah. Where, where all of the, where did all that come from? I can't even imagine how you manage your time.
1: Um, Well, it came from the necessity of needing to get work, and um, I initially was gonna. I, I used to teach English in the United States, and I have you know qualifications from there. And when I moved to the UK, I was writing full time for a number of years. And then the situation in the publishing industry became clear to me that I was gonna need a day job. But my qualifications didn't transfer. So I was looking at having to go back for a PGCE, which is like a one-year certificate. And um, I just couldn't face doing it in English. I just couldn't face being an English teacher. I don't know, I just couldn't, couldn't face it. I thought I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna do science. I know I'll be able to get a good job. I was very worried about my employability. So I thought I'll get in one of these shortage areas where they really need teachers. And I was thinking about doing biology because I had a little bit of biology in my background. And then um, there was uh, an online discussion about women in science fiction that was hosted by Neil Harrison at Torque Control around the time my last science fiction novel came out, Lightborn. And there's a whole discussion there about women in science fiction and why aren't there very many of us, and is that the natural order of things, and so on. And um, there was a remark made there that maybe women aren't interested in science fiction very much, and maybe women aren't really very interested in science very much, and that's why there aren't so many women scientists. And I I just felt, um, well, I mean, I felt very deflated by it and very depressed by it, but I never really stay depressed or deflated for long and I just thought um screw you I'm (laughs) gonna sign up for physics (laughs) and I signed up for for very basic math courses which is what I needed to take because I'm really bad at maths I had no background in it I don't know what I thought I was doing I guess I thought that if I if I worked hard at it I could cope with it and it wouldn't be that bad
0: is Um, that true it was
1: absolutely horrendous it was awful (laughs) It was a nightmare. I couldn't even do a quadratic equation. I couldn't, I was confused about reciprocals. Like I was never very good at math. And somehow um, being in my forties, it was like my brain had just gone out the window, children, all of it. It was awful. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm still in it. And um, I'm in my last, uh, the last bit of my bachelor's degree now. And I've started a master's in astrophysics um, at the same time, part-time. I just kind of hang in by the skin of my teeth. I'm not really very good at it, but I just do the work and I just keep plugging at it. And somehow I've managed to hang in. Um, But it all really flowed out of that women aren't interested in science throwaway remark, you know, that was made. Really, really pissed me off. So I'm
0: guessing you can do quadratic equations now.
1: Yeah, kind of. I can do them now. (laughs) I mean, it would be really bad if I couldn't after all these years.
0: So how do you fit in writing fiction then and all this?
1: Well, you know, not very much. As you can see from the gaps between my novels, um, it's been a big gap between Lightborn and this book. Um, and I started working on this in the summer of 2011. And it, I, many times I had to just stop for months at a time and completely put it down and not touch it for several months while I was doing the physics and the maths. Um, so it was written in a very disjointed fashion, over a long period of time, and I had to keep pu- pulling it back up and kind of reloading it into my brain, and then having another crack at it. Um, and even now, you know, I'm I'm working on, on on new stuff. I always have stuff in my hard drive that I'm working on, but very often it will sit for a while. And I'd like to say that I lament that, but I have also had the experience of being a writer on a contract where you're expected to write a book of the year and you have to keep delivering them and delivering them and actually that is very debilitating in its own way and having something else to focus my energies on and my priorities on I think has been very good for my writing it's it's um I've been able to drop the rock a little bit um and when I finally do come to it it's like I have all this pent up kind of wild energy that I haven't been able to let loose because I've had to be very disciplined and do equations and try to get right answers. And there's just no room for creativity there. So when I do get to let it out of the box, it really comes out. And I think, you know, that's probably some of what you can see and Occupy Me. It's really over the top.
0: Now, my next question was about your new book, Occupy Me. In fact, from Jade to Pearl in your newest, it's a pattern. Uh, Pearl's the lead character of your new book, Occupy Me, which is out now as we record this interview. Do you have an elevator pitch for Occupy Me? Oh, God. Because <laughs> I couldn't come up with one, you know.
1: I know. Um, I don't have an elevator pitch for any of my books. But Jane Fenn said it's got a ter- pterosaur in a briefcase, which I thought that's that's probably as close as I can come.
0: But doesn't really give away much at all.
1: Well, it's in the first few
0: scenes, so... That's good enough as an elevator pitch. It could work. I found it to be this really strange, intriguing book, not because it doesn't fit into any categories in terms of genre, uh, but even otherwise, I mean, because of, well, not just because of what was in the briefcase, but I did want to sort of stay with it for a very long time. Did you intend on weaving in so many ideas? I mean, there's angels, there's strange suitcases, as we just said, that hold more than they should. There's, you know... Wings that hide on another plane and people whose bodies have been taken over and international interdimensional conspiracies. I mean, you've even got literally a woman in a refrigerator at one point, though, of course, she is not. not... She
1: is. She's not
0: at all a sexist plot device. Let me just put that out there. Not at all. But I mean, I think that was. I I laughed out loud at that. That's fantastic. There's a lot of humor in this book as well. Um, there's I, a lot so of humor that, in it.
1: I'm so glad that you appreciated that because I thought I didn't want to like be too heavy-handed about it. But yeah, that was definitely. I
0: don't terrible. think you were, but I mean, I really enjoyed it. And when I was, you know, thinking back on the book just today, because I just finished reading it a couple of days ago, thinking back on it again today, like that kept coming back to me. I know it's, it's in the beginning. I'm not giving anything away. It's not a spoiler. Um, but I mean, I have to ask, you know, what was your initial thought for this story, and how did all these other ideas connect to it? Was it slowly? Did they all merge at once?
1: Okay, well, the initial idea is very simple. It comes down to a telephone conversation between me and my mate, Karen Mahoney, who is a fantastic YA author. And um, in the summer of 2011, I think, I remember I was walking around my back garden barefoot, talking on the phone with Kaz. And she's very, um, especially at this time anyway, uh, she's always very plugged into the publishing industry and she always knows what are the hot new trends and what's going on. And she's always was giving me all kinds of gossip and all kinds of juicy stuff. And it was all about the angels at that time. It was just when the angel books were going to break. And I kind of went, oh, oh, I'm so tired of these angels. You know, I just, I, that's not how I would do it. And I started talking about how I would do it and what my angel would be like and what she would look like and what she would be able to do and what her job would be. And Kaz just went, oh my God, you've got to write that. I'm making you write that. You're writing that. Now you're going to have to write it and I'm like, Nah, no, I'm not, da, da, da. paranormal romance kind of thing. She's like, no, you got to write it. And then she said, and can she be called Pearl? So I was like, oh, fine. Okay. And it was at a point in my, in my writing where I had really bottomed out on science fiction. I was completely sick of writing it. I had, I was completely out of ideas. I was discouraged. I, I was just, didn't want to know about it and i was trying like lots of other different things and that was around the time i was i had written a draft of shadow boxer i was trying a lot of different things and so i just wrote up a few couple little chapters of it and showed them to a couple of people and the response was like wow we love this it was the scene where she throws um dr sorley off the plane but it was a different it was different in that version because in this version it was going to be about archetypal energies where you had these um these kind of abstract entities that were controlled by uh, abstractions in our culture so in war zones you would have a dragon energy that would manifest physically and then angels would come out of this other energy and it was going to be this kind of fantastical conceptual thing and it just I worked on it for a while and it just like the other fantasy thing that I tried to do it just immediately went into heavy metaphysical science fictional stuff. And, and I started to think about um, Pearl's Wings and the higher dimensions, which I'd been reading about in, in theoretical physics, like at a very layman's level, obviously. So all the science fiction started to come back in. I just had to kind of give up and say, okay, I guess it's gonna be a science fiction novel now. Um, and it was, you know, it was a pain in the butt. It was difficult to write. Um, I didn't know where it was going. And I I didn't know how it was going to come together, uh, really, until the summer. I finished it uh, the summer of Lancon. That was when I finished the first draft. And it was like I was coming right up to the oil rig and I still wasn't sure what was going to happen, how it was going to work. So I I almost can't tell you how it all came together. I mean, um, at one point I have had this hallway in my house where I do like a plot wall, and I tried to get it all laid out where I could see all the different elements and try to figure out how they all connected. And I had like two flip charts covered with different colored post-its. I had a whiteboard and I had another cork board, all covered with little bits of paper. And then I had paper all over the floor, and then I had a laptop. And even there, I couldn't kind of get the whole book in one place because it had so many tentacles. So, um, yeah, I'm rambling.
0: No, but that it sounds, comes it comes sounds, it sounds A, fascinating and B, extremely difficult to tackle.
1: I, I definitely couldn't have done it um, sooner. You know, I mean, I've been writing seriously since I was 26 and I'm 47 now. And, you know, it it took me right to the limit uh, and beyond what I could do, what I could juggle in my head and, and what kind of risks I I mean I took a lot of risks I took really big risks and um you know there were times where I was just like you know I'm gonna fall flat on my face I can't do this and I would back off of it and I would try to think of something safer but I just kept coming back to the really crazy and I guess I just reached a point with my writing career where I thought I've really got nothing to lose here so I may as well just do what I want to do and if people think it's stupid so what at least I will have. at least I will have fulfilled something for myself.
0: Are you happy with it now that it's out and, you know, um, free, wild in the world?
1: It's a very strange feeling. It's actually, it's release date today and I've been really uneasy all day. I'm supposed to be working on physics and I, it's a strange feeling. Something that you kind of keep, you know, you have it to yourself for all this time and you I've built up expectations about it. Um, I hoped that it would be good and I wanted it to be good and I felt that I'd achieved something with it. And there's always that terrible feeling when it's published of what if people start reading it and they're just like, Oh, this is just more of that same old incomprehensible, (laughs) you know, the the reaction to a lot of my other work has been, this is kind of incomprehensible. We really can't follow this. And I, (laughs) I just have to keep steadying myself and saying, well, you know, each of us is unique and I'm writing the book that I, only I could write. And um, maybe a few people will like it. So I like
0: that Burl, like Jade, was also very much a physically strong woman. She lifts forklifts. I mean, at that point I wanted her to be my gym buddy. I'll be honest. <laughs> because that's somebody I could could really look up to that Uh, but in your last couple of books at least physical strength has obviously been very much part of who your female protagonists are they are quite literally strong does this come from your own training too is there a need to feel physically strong for you
1: it helps yeah I think it helps and I think um, you know like I've we've all just seen or a lot of us I guess have just seen the new Star Wars movie and I think a, a lot of people reacted to Rey and and it's I think there's a feeling in in my psyche going way back of of like, um, why can't we see some um, some physical power and some some of that in women? And, and that's not at all to say that I think a woman has to be physically strong to be worthwhile or a person or I mean and uh, I, I I don't I'm not of the school that says we need to have lots of female action heroes and that's enough it's not that Um, I don't know that's really that's really a tough one because Pearl is physically strong and she is she is all about moving huge weights but the weights that she is moving are are not physical well not not, not always and I guess that it To me, strength is is about... And, and with Pearl, um, one of the things that I researched was isometrics. In in the original version of the book, she was a powerlifter.
0: Right. And
1: I, I did a, a bunch on that where she was a powerlifter. And then I thought... Um, it, I just couldn't see her being in gyms. It just didn't work. So I, I went into isometrics training and looked at that. And um, she's pushing against the immovable. And, and that is you know, that has a lot of meaning for me that you have to push against the immovable. You have to push, even if you haven't got a prayer of moving it, because even if you don't move it, you'll change yourself. You'll change something. Something will break open. Um, that's where my heart is on that one.
0: Now, I believe music is very much a part of your writing process as well. Did Occupy Me have a personalized playlist?
1: Not, yeah. You know, it's funny, not as much as some of my other books. There was one song... Um, that I listened to a lot when I was writing, but I didn't listen to it constantly, um, which is uh, Jeff Buckley and Elizabeth Fraser, All Flowers in Time, Bend Towards the Sun, which is the title of the, the last or second to last chapter. Um, and I, I encourage you to check it out if you've never heard the song. Uh, absolutely beautiful, heartbreaking acoustic recording that was never released commercially. Um, and Elizabeth Fraser is the, the former singer of the Cocteau Twins. And Jeff Buckley, the late Jeff Buckley, was the son of the singer, Tim Buckley. Um, And he died very young. It's all very terribly sad. Um, That song was really crucial to the emotional um, heart of the book. It was like a touchstone for me.
0: Now, what are you looking forward to now that Occupy Me is out in the wild? Have you moved on already? I know you were saying you're feeling uneasy today. Happy book birthday, (laughs) by the way. Uh, But in your head, in terms of writing, are you looking at new things? Is it sort of easy for you to move on from books, you know, from the book hangover, as it were?
1: Well, yeah, because, I mean, I finished writing it, uh, as I said, in the summer of 2014. um, And there wasn't a lot of editing done. It was edited by uh, Kelly Eskridge, um, who is an American novelist and the partner of Nicola Griffith, the wife of Nicola Griffith, I should say. And she did an incredible job editing the first draft for me but once that was done it was kind of out of my hands and um, I've moved on to other things so I haven't really had my head in Occupy Me at all and actually I was a bit nervous for this interview thinking about how I'm going to talk about it because I don't remember it that well after a year and a half. Um, I've been working on another science fiction novel which is quite hairy and uh, I had a project that I was writing for light relief while I was writing Occupy Me, I would, I would work on it. Like when I would go to pick up my son at school and I'd be sitting in the car waiting for him to come out, I'd, I'd work on this like in the car in my spare moments just to amuse myself. Very light, um, comical science fiction crime novel. And that's actually started to pick up momentum and turn into more of a real book. But um, I always have like a lot of things sitting on my computer that I'm playing with. I'm never, even when I'm working on a novel really heavily I, I'm always playing with other things I can never just do one thing I, I always have to cheat a little bit and work on something else. I get really tired if I'm just in a I, I can't like be like a plow horse in a groove you know what I mean I have right. to move around
0: So how will you celebrate Occupy Me's birthday?
1: I, uh, I think I'll hide <laughs> <laughs> It's too late now
0: you're on here
1: <laughs> it, It's so um, it's so it's so disconcerting because you kind of turned your insides out for everyone to see and, and I, I'm very uncomfortable um, with, with publication. It's strange, I mean I think writing a novel is one of the few things that you can do. You're kind of in your own head, by yourself, talking to yourself, having these interactions and, and you can trick yourself into into confessing things and exploring things and doing things that are that are really risky and then you know, the realization that people are actually going to be reading it and passing judgment on it, I really will just be completely under the bed, hiding.
0: So by the time this interview goes online a week from Occupy Me's birthday, will you have come out? Shall I let you know that it's online?
1: You could, you know, send in a care package or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> under the bed.
1: Under the bed with the dust bunnies, you know.
0: Well, thank you so much, Trisha, for speaking with me today.